You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. I'm going to tell someone the title of my sermon this morning. Why should we give? Why should we give? Before we get into it this morning, uh, just a reminder that next week is that evangelism workshop. So if you haven't signed up for it yet, please do. If you're interested in figuring out how, how to evangelize, the best way to share the gospel to your friends and families that are unbelievers, please sign up for that workshop. And we're, we're going to discuss that next week after service. Now, again, the purpose for this is because when Summer Jam Picnic comes along, our desire as a church community is to really make it of an evangelistic event, right? To reach out to those guests and those visitors that are not regulars at our church who might, who, who, who might have just found the event or might have just found uh, our picnic online or, or even those that we invite so that we can share the gospel to them. So, so please come out to that. And again, come out to the, the prayer service that is going to be uh, the, the Sunday after that, or, or rather the Sunday after the, the workshop next week, um, and so that we can spend some time praying for the Summer Jam picnic. Now, this morning, in our study of the Gospel of John, we finally get to chapter 6 of, of uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, of course, we, we have uh, been going through this series, and, and we've been in chapter 5 for uh, maybe, over a year, maybe over a year now or so, but uh, thankfully, we're finally here in chapter 6, and we come to one of the most memorable miracles in Jesus' earthly ministry, the feeding of the 5,000. In terms of scope and impact, this Miracle has the largest scope or the largest impact on a group of people next to the resurrection, simply because of the sheer amount of people that it, it involves, right, who, who witnesses this, uh, this event. And more than the, the water being turned to wine, more than, uh, you know, Christ uh, uh, healing the, office, the official son that we read about, and, and more than any other miracle that Jesus performs. It's for this reason that all four Gospels write about this incident, write about this monumental event in Christ's earthly ministry. Imagine for a minute, right? 5,000, just men, by the way, right? Matthew makes a point, even our passage makes a point that that's just the men that they're talking about. Matthew's gospel includes uh, the women and children in that, in that category. And scholars, that Bible scholars actually calculate the number to actually be roughly around 15,000 to 20,000 individuals involved in a single miracle. Assuming that each of these 5,000 men were married, right, and that they also had children, because often where men are, there are women, and where there are men and women, there's often kids, right? So obviously, it's a big crowd. It's a large crowd that Jesus had to minister to on this day. Now, we'll go more in-depth into this miracle in the coming weeks, but this morning, I want to focus on a very specific message that our passage brings us, and that is, why should we give? Why should we give? As we'll see in our passage, as much as this miracle serves as more evidence as to the divinity of Christ, when compiling the accounts from all four Gospels concerning this event, we see that there's a common teaching, there's a common attitude that Jesus is trying to impart, trying to instill into his disciples, and that is the concept of giving, the concept of giving. See, what makes this miracle so unique compared to the other miracles that Jesus performed is that 
In every account, Jesus invites his disciples to participate in this miracle of giving food to these 5,000 plus individuals, 5,000 plus people who are, who are in need of it. In fact, John's unique uh, perspective on this miracle even calls it a test for his disciples, right? In verse 5, it says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then verse 6, he says, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, spoilers, right? The disciples failed the test. The disciples failed this test. They failed to practice the proper attitude, the proper perspective, the, the proper heart, and even faith when it comes to giving. And unfortunately, we can do the same. We can fall into the same wrong mentalities as the disciples when it comes to the act of giving, the, the, the act of giving to, uh, to our church, to uh, those around us, to those we love, or, or not, even, not, not even those who we love, but, but even those around us who are in need. And so this morning, I want us to learn from the disciples' mistakes, uh, examine our own hearts and attitudes towards giving, and see Jesus' example when it comes to this act of charity. By the way, I'm not just talking about giving, you know, in terms of tithes and offering, right? But even when it comes to giving help or aid or a love gift to those in need, how does our hearts look like when, when, whenever we go out of the grocery store and someone is out there asking for spare change, right? How does our hearts look like when, when we get off the highway and there's a guy up on the side and with a sign and he's asking for some food or some help or some spare change? Do we perceive them with disdain, right? Do we say, ugh, get a job, right? Or do we see them with compassion? How about when someone asks for our help but we don't quite have what they're asking for? Do we sort of just give up as though we can't help them or do we go out of our way just to help them? just to help them in however way we can, with whatever we have to help them with. And so that's the plan this morning. Before we go into the depths of John's reasoning for this miracle next week, this week we'll be examining our own hearts to see if our hearts pass the test. The same test that Jesus tests his disciples with on this topic of giving. Church, my hope this morning is that by the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the illumination of God's holy word, that our hearts would be conditioned to give the same way that Jesus gives. That our attitudes and perspective on helping others would be refined and edified so that we would become a church known for loving others. A church known for reflecting Christ's love to all those around us. Not just, not just to each other, but even those outside of our church community. Beloved, my desire is that we would learn from the heart of Christ so that we would ultimately give like Christ. So let's jump into our passage and unpack this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the proper attitude that we ought to have when it comes to giving. So everyone say, jump with me. Everyone ready to give? Okay, a little uh, slow to that one, but okay. Uh, so in order to correct our attitude and our perspective, our heart in this matter, when it comes to giving, I think it's important for us to answer the very simple question of why should we give? What's the reason for it? Why should we give? It sounds like a pretty straightforward question, I know, and maybe you, all of you have already an answer for it, but uh, maybe, you know, because it's a Christian thing to do, right? The Bible tells us to give, or because we get tax receipts at the end of the year. Whatever the reason might be, uh, whatever it might be, what we see in our passage is that Jesus wants his disciples to go deeper than that. 
He doesn't want them to do this, some, to do this or to give out of some sense of duty or obligation. There is a heart posture, an attitude that he is trying to import to his disciples. So let's take a look, look at this. In verse 1, it says, after, Je- after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, it's important to look at the parallel passages to this miracle in the other Gospels so that as we unpack this miracle, because John actually skips a few details here, again, to, to sort of focus in onto his specific uh, perspective of why he's sharing the Gospel here. So Matthew says, immediately after Jesus arrives on shore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This was why the crowd was following Jesus in the first place, why so many people had gathered to Jesus. Now, in addition to this, Luke, in his account, in his gospel, describes how Jesus was not only healing the sick, but he was also proclaiming the gospel to them as well. Jesus wasn't just caring for their physical needs. He was also looking after their spiritual ones as well. I think that's an important fact to consider whenever we Christians commit to some sort of uh, charity endeavor. It's not enough to, to simply help physically. We must point them where they can be helped spiritually as well. And, and vice versa, right? Just as God commands us to go and make disciples, God also commands us to take care of the widows and the orphans to help those who are in need. So, so now our passage continues in verse 3. Jesus went, up to, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The other Gospels, again, gives us a little more context, a little more detail on what's happening here. We learn in the Gospel of Mark and Luke that this miracle takes place shortly after the 12 disciples return from being sent out to preach the gospel, right? If you remember, there's that, that portion in, the, in Jesus' earthly ministry where he sends out the 12 to go cast out demons and to go proclaim the gospel. Now, this is, now they're coming back, and now Jesus, is, or, or, or Jesus takes the disciples up this mountain, according to Mark and Luke, to get them, or to allow them to rest, according to Mark. So this whole scenario started as a retreat, really, for Jesus and the disciples, a time for them to recover from pouring out in ministry. Now, I think this, is, this too is another important detail to consider because it shows that this wasn't the most convenient time for a miracle, really, at least not on the part of the disciples. They're tired. They just came back from pouring out right after you know, weeks and months of pouring out, and they needed rest. This was their retreat, right? Yet here was another crowd to minister to, another crowd to pour out to. I think this goes to show that the need to give, the need to serve, the need to love on others doesn't always come when things are convenient for us or when we're well-rested or, or as we'll see, when we have all the resources to give or serve. Sometimes we're called to give back when we got nothing to give back. Verse 4 says, Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. This notes sort of a passage in time, like a time jump, right, uh, between chapter 5 and chapter 6. If you flip over to back to chapter 5, the very beginning of that chapter, it talks about how Jesus was in Jerusalem for an unnamed feast. It doesn't really say. That feast was either the Feast of Booths or uh, the Passover feast. So depending on which feast it was, between 6 to 12 months have passed between the two chapters, right? Verse 5 says, lifting up his eyes, then... And seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? 
Jesus sees the crowd coming towards him, or rather drawing near to him, and he asks Philip where they could buy some food to feed all these people. Now, it's important to look back at, the, at Mark's gospel for this again, because it records the heart of Christ in this situation. Where were Jesus is coming from? As he, as he, again, as our pastor says, he looks up and sees this crowd of people. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and, began, and he began to teach them many things. Again, Jesus, seeing the crowds, recognized that they were all like a sheep or like sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. Now I've talked about this word compassion before from this pulpit and it's a specific meaning in the original Greek. The word here is splagizomai, meaning to be moved in the inward parts, to, to feel and be moved to action. Whenever this word is used in the Old Testament, it's often used to describe the heart of God towards us. It's, it's the same word that's used in the story of the prodigal son, when, when the father sees the son from far away, and then he has compassion over the son, and he runs to him. When the good Samaritan saw the half-dead man on the road, it says that he had compassion for him, and he was moved to, to help this, this beaten man on the side of the road. On another occasion in the Gospel of Matthew, when, when Jesus once again feeds a whole mass of people, this time 4,000 men, not including women and children, it says that he felt compassion as well and was moved to perform this miracle. Same thing when, when Jesus raises the, the widow's dead son in Luke, Jesus demonstrates compassion as well. So now, back to our passage in John, when it says, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus is feeling a sense of compassion for these people, for, for the, this crowd, and that's why he asked Philip where they could buy some food. So now, this brings us to the first answer to this question of, of why should we give? And that's because giving reflects the heart of God. Giving reflects the heart of God. When we give, we reflect God's heart of compassion for those who are in need. Throughout Scripture, we see this heart of compassion of God whenever God commands His people to, to take care of the least of society, often referred to as the widows and the orphans, or the fatherless. We see this wording of widows and orphans come up a lot in the Old Testament and New Testament. This was sort of a categorical term used to describe those in society who had no one to provide for them. See, in ancient times, because the main and or sometimes the only source of income to a home was, was often the husband or the father, when a family lost their patriarch, the widow or the orphans would be left in destitute. No one, for, to, no one to provide for them. This is why God puts an emphasis on commanding the community, his people, to provide for the needs of the widows and the orphans, those who no longer had a source of income or those who were left in destitute. Now, we see this all throughout Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 1, when God is calling his people to repent of their sins, he says specifically in Isaiah 1 verse 17, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And when the people were living in sin outside of God's will for them, an indicator of that in the same chapter was that the fact that they did not take care, they did, they did not bring justice to the orphans, to the fatherless, or plead the widow's cause. 
In the New Testament, James writes, in James 1 verse 27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So God's heart of compassion is exemplified throughout Scripture in His commands for His people to take care of the least of society, the widows and the orphans. In fact, the Apostle John even writes about this in, in his first letter to the churches. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John is clear. If we fail to give to those in need, how can we say that God's love abides in us? How can we say that we share the same heart, the same compassion as our Heavenly Father if we don't demonstrate that by taking care of those who are in need? Of course, the flip side to that is that if we do give, if we do serve others, if we do love on those who are in need, if we help those who are in need, we reflect the heart and the compassion of God. That's what we're talking about here. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. That is, again, compassion. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples' to, to his disciples' perspective to, to be as well, their attitude as well. It wasn't just about duty or following a command, though that's a good place to start. Christ's desire for his disciples was to have compassion as well, to be moved inside uh, towards action. Similar, similarly for us, giving, whether it's tithes or, tithes or offerings or a love gift or sharing some change to the guy you know, standing on the side of the highway, or our giving is meant to demonstrate, exemplify God's heart of compassion. We, we, we see the need, we are moved by the need, and we act on the need. That's compassion. In our passage, Jesus saw the crowds with, with, with a heart of compassion, and he wanted his disciples to do the same, and he wants us to do the same. So uh, let's ask this question for us, right? Do you feel compassion for those who are in need? Again, when you get off the highway, right, later after church today, and you see that guy with a sign, are you moved to compassion when you see him, or do you try to avoid eye contact, Right? Next time you're at the grocery store and there's, there's a lady asking for some spare change as you leave the store, do you feel compassion for them? Are you moved to act on their behalf? Are, how are you reflecting God's heart of love and compassion to those around us, to those who are in need around us? We give because it reflects the heart of God. So this is what Jesus wanted for his disciples, as we said, a heart of compassion. It's why he asked Philip where to get food for the people. In verse 6, right? He said, it also adds, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. In the other Gospels, there's a couple more words to this test, right? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples tell Jesus to send the people away so they could go and find food for themselves. But Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 6, verse 37, but he answered them, you, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You feed them. I love this, right? The, the, the disciples ask Jesus to do something, but Jesus replies, no, you do it, right? You feed them. You do something about their hunger. You take responsibility for your neighbor. You love on them. You feed them. 
It's always interesting whenever you hear sort of this question from unbelievers or atheists or people of the world, and maybe sometimes from believers themselves, right? If God is so loving, why doesn't he do anything about the starving kids in Africa or the starving kids in the world? Oftentimes that question seems like a luxury, I think, to to rich people or the well-off. He has done something about it, right? About these, these, these kids or these orphans or these people who are starving in the world. He's blessed and he's given resources to others in order to give to those who are in need. To these families, to these kids around the world who are impoverished. Again, that's God's design in Scripture, right? For us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to care for the least of society. So the better question is, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about the starving kids around the world? How are you being loving to the widows and the orphans of the world? Listen, the only reason why there are starving kids in the world is because of man's depravity. Because of man's selfish heart and sinful heart that keeps and and hoards resources to themselves, right? God made this planet so that there would be enough resources for everyone's need, but not everyone's greed. Jesus would say, you feed them. God has given you resources to exemplify his heart, his compassion, to be his hands and feet in this world. You feed them. It's part of the test that we see in our passage. A test for what? To see what the disciples would do, how they would respond. In the Gospel of John, it's directed towards Philip. So the test was to see where where Philip's heart was at. And where was Philip's heart at? At verse 7, let's look at that. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip's answer is quite interesting because it shows a little about his personality. You get the sense that he was kind of a a bottom line kind of guy, right? You know, very practical with numbers, a realist when it comes to things, right? A a denarii or a denarii was about a day's wage for a common laborer in those days in ancient times. So 200 denarii was about eight months worth of income. Philip is saying not even, eight months of wor- not even eight months worth of wages would be able to feed all these men and women and children who are here. Again, remember, fifteen to 20,000 people. Philip was just being practical, right? Anyone, can anyone relate with Philip, right, when it comes to numbers? Meanwhile, Andrew, Peter, Peter's brother, comes along and says, verse 9, there's a boy here. He has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so, many, for so many? Now, let me tell you, Andrew doesn't sound very helpful at all, and I don't think he's trying to be helpful. He's just pointing out the obvious. Right? He's Mr. Obvious in this passage, right? If you think about it, hey, Jesus, there's a boy here. He has five crackers and two fish. Will that help? Right? He, Andrew is like that friend, who, or that friend who, who offers a dollar when the bill is 100, right, just to be funny, right? Like, I got a piece of lint in my pocket. Is that going to help? Like, no, Andrew. Andrew says, here's a kid's lunch money. Will that help? That's not being helpful. He's just sort of emphasizing the, the predicament that they found themselves in. In fact, we read in Mark how it was even Jesus' idea to go see what food was in the crowd in order to remedy the situation. So Andrew coming back with the crackers and fish is like Andrew saying, well, We found a half-eaten pack of soda crackers and some fish sticks. We're doomed. So so we got pragmatic Philip and sarcastic Andrew to the rescue here, right? Do you think they passed the test? I don't think so. Far from it. 
They were lacking in any sincere compassion for the people. Philip just cared about the numbers. Andrew doubted if they could do anything at all to help the, the, the people. In fact, the other Gospels, we even see the disciples telling Jesus to send the people away, right? As we said, Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy for themselves. Tell them to buy their own food, right? We don't have any food. We don't have any money. Tell them to buy their own food. That doesn't sound very compassionate, does it? Same thing if we said, you know, uh, right? We don't have any money. You know, get a job instead, right? Stop waiting for handouts. Does that sound familiar? The reality is, more often than not, we can fall into the same mentality, the same attitude when it comes to helping those in need or even giving. When we, we can either be realistic, like Philip, or, you know, pragmatic, like Philip, or sarcastic, like Andrew, and, fall into, and, and fail to demonstrate any real heart, any real sense of compassion or desire to give. Now, both those sentiments, be, now both those sentiments being realistic or being sarcastic usually demonstrates one thing. And that is a lack of faith. A lack of faith. When Jesus asked, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? What, what was the right answer? What was the right answer? Tell me, tell, me where go, tell me where to go, Lord. I'll go, right? Lord, send me. Or with God's help, we can, we can actually feed them, right? Or, or God's provided before, he can provide again. Remember, these disciples just came back from this missionary journey, right? From this trip, uh, this ministry trip where Jesus sent them out to go preach the gospel. But what did Jesus tell them before he sent them out? Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 8. He told them, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Part of the reason why Jesus sent the disciples out was to grow their faith to experience God's faithfulness as they go out with nothing. It was to get them to rely on the power of God to provide for their needs. It's amazing how that doesn't translate over to this scenario, to the feeding of the 5,000. They failed to trust that God could provide or that even the little that they had, God could use. So, so here's why we should give. Here, here's, our, here's, our, here's, our, here's our second lesson for today. Here's why we should give. Because giving relies on the power of God. Giving relies on the power of God. When we give, it demonstrates faith on two levels. Faith that what we give, God can use. And faith that if we give, God can provide. The first one deals with our, our sarcasm, with Andrew, right? Similar to Andrew. Sometimes our reason for not giving or helping others is our lack of faith. That, that what we have can even make an impact or make a difference in that person's life. We think, I don't have enough money, or, or I, I can't make a difference anyways. It's the same sentiment as saying, we only have five loaves and two fish. But what we fail to understand, and what we see in our passage, is that little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. Christ took five loaves of bread and two fish and fed thousands of people. Thousands of people. That's who we are surrendering our resources to. That's who we are putting our faith and trust to as we give. Giving is an opportunity for us to demonstrate our faith in our sovereign God. who can make something out of nothing. So even the little that you can give, understand that God can use it to bless the life of others. 
See, here's a principle that you need to understand when it comes to giving, right? God will not ask from you what you don't have. Nor will he require from you what someone else has. No, right? No, what God requires of us is to give what we have in faith. Faith that God can, can and will use it for his glory nonetheless. Remember the story of the, the widow's might, Right? The story of this widow who gives her last coin as an offering to the Lord. What does Jesus say? Luke chapter 21, verse 34. It says, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Give generously and have faith that God can use whatever you give. Now, here's a second reason why, why faith is necessary when we give, because sometimes it's hard to give when we ourselves are finding it hard to make ends meet, right? Sometimes we're like Philip, and we're, and we're thinking, you know, we're, we're crunching the numbers, we're doing the math, and, and giving becomes difficult because we don't have much to give. So we hesitate from giving the, that last dollar because that last dollar could go to our needs instead. Or, or we can't spare the time because we're already short on time. Or, or we can't spare that energy to help because I'm, I'm already tired. I'm already you know, needing rest, right? Giving is an opportunity to have faith that God will provide for our needs as well. That even if we were to give our last dollar, the bottom dollar, in obedience to God, that as a, as, a, as a loving father, God will not forget our needs. It's like the story of the widow of Zarephath and, and Elijah in the Old Testament, right? In 1 Kings 17, God commands his widow to give her last bread, her last morsel of food to the prophet Elijah. And instead of keeping it for herself and, and giving it to some of it to her son, but because of her faithfulness in God's command, God provided for her abundantly. Listen, don't let your lack of faith in God's faithfulness and provision stop you from giving. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Hear that. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Giving demonstrates faith in the power of God. So again, application for us this morning. Are you demonstrating faith when you give? Are you demonstrating faith when you give? Are you trusting God when you give that he can use whatever it is that you give, even the little that you give for his glory? Does your heart need to change from being you know, less pragmatic or being less sarcastic and lean more towards faith when it comes to giving? Lastly, the reason why we, we should give, we'll just go straight to it, is because giving returns the blessings of God. Giving returns the blessings of God. Verse 10, look at this with me. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Imagine this, right? Five loaves and two fish, and Jesus gives thanks for them right? 
Jesus gave thanks for even the little that they had to work with, for the crackers and, and fish. I keep saying crackers, by the way, because in ancient times, when it refers to these barley loaves, they weren't bread as you know it. They're flatbread, right? These crackers that you often see um, that people eat. There is a recognition that, there, that even the little that they had was from God. This is, what Jesus, this is why Jesus is thanking the Lord. This is why Jesus is thanking the Father. And that's the reality of it, right? Everything that we have is from God. James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from the Father. Therefore, whenever we give, it's just giving back out of the overflow of God's abundant grace over our lives. So in one sense, we need to practice an attitude of gratitude, giving thanks to God for what we have. Then from that gratitude is where our giving should flow from. Giving is always an opportunity to give back to God what's rightfully His. That's the tithe. And give to God what He rightfully deserves in thanks. That's our offerings. That's giving above and beyond the tithe. That's giving to the needs of others. Giving should always be seen as an opportunity to give back to God what He lavishly bestowed on us. Gratitude is the attitude that should shape our giving. We don't have to give. We get to give. We get to give. We get to give back to the God who has lavishly blessed us with so much grace. And it should be the same attitude when we see someone asking for change on the streets, when when others ask us for help. We get the opportunity to help them, right? There's a story in the gospel where, where Jesus talks about how how, how these servants, right, and, and this king, and, and the master says to the servants, you know, well done, my good and faithful servants, right? Because when I was in need, you offered me help. When I was in prison, you offered me a cup full of water. And I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. And the servants asked, you know, when did we do this, right? And the answer of the, the master was, when you did these to the least of them, you did unto me. That's the same attitude that we ought to be approaching those who are in need, those are people that we see who, who are in need of help, that we are doing it to Christ, that we are giving and providing for and giving back to the Lord for all the blessings that he's given to us. So some application here again. Are you giving from your gratitude? Do you thank God for even the little that you have? Do you seek to return the blessings that God has blessed you with. So again, why should we give? Because giving reflects the heart of God. It demonstrates to a lost world that God cares, that God is a compassionate God, that God loves. Why should we give? Because giving relies on the power of God. Giving relies on the power of God. It demonstrates faith that God could use even the little that we give to help those in need. At the same time, it demonstrates faith that God, that even if we give all that we have, that God will continue to provide for us as a loving Heavenly Father. And finally, we, why should we give? Because giving returns the blessing of God. We just get to give back to God for all the things that He's blessed us with, every good and perfect gift that He's poured into our lives. We want to be known as a church that gives, who takes responsibility for our neighbor, to, who, who loves our neighbor just as we love ourselves. 
A church that truly reflects the love of Christ. That's one of our missional statements as Plus Life. So as an opportunity for us as a church community, we want to start an initiative. We want to start uh, an initiative as a church um, starting next week. It's called the You Feed Them Initiative, right? Straight from the Gospels, right? You Feed Them Initiative. Basically, what we're doing is we're going to be collecting some canned goods and non-perishables for the Mississauga Food Bank, right? And you can start bringing that in next week. And our goal is to, to reach about 150 pounds worth of food to give back to our communities because, again, we get the opportunity to give. And again, as a church community, we want to be a church that reflects the love of Christ. So you feed them, right? It's not enough to just pray for, for those in need same thing as Jesus says to his disciples, you feed them. And so keep that in mind, keep that in prayer in the next couple of weeks or until the end of July, we're going to be collecting these canned goods, again, and non-perishables um, for the Mississauga Food Bank. Anyone excited for that? Hope so. Ultimately, when we give, we reflect the heart of Christ when he gave himself for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's our example for this. Here's why we need to deny ourselves so that we can care for others. Here's why we need to give to others abundantly and, gener- and generously. Because our example is Christ. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's our example of giving. Jesus himself, our Savior, our God who who came in human form and gave himself up, his entire being, his body up, his blood to... Wash away our sins. His body bruised for our healing. That's our greatest example of giving. Why should we give? Because Christ gave himself for us. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that ultimately, at the end of the day, that you are our great example of how we should give, of the heart of compassion that we ought to have when reaching out to to those in need. Because ultimately, Lord, you saw us in our dire need of salvation, in in the mire of our sin, in the the wretchedness of our our hearts and our minds and our actions and our words and, and our deeds, Lord God, and you had compassion on us. In your love, in your grace, in your mercy, you chose to give your son. 
to die the death that we should have died to pay the price that we owed so that we can have right relationship with you. So that we can be reconciled to you. And I pray, O oh Father, for those who, who have yet to believe that, who have yet to put their faith and trust in that, who are still putting their faith in their dead works, in their righteousness and whatever good work that they could do. I pray, Father, that in this sacred time, Holy Spirit, that you would move in their hearts and cause them to have faith. And they would trust in you as their Savior and Lord. The precious gift the Father has given so that we can be saved. Lord Jesus, would you reign in our hearts that we might reflect your heart to those who are in need. That we would not be stuck in just loving those that we already love or those who love us back. That we would even love on those who don't even know us, even those who hate us. That we would give just as you give. To meet not just physical needs, but Lord God, point them to where their spiritual need would be met. Father God, we are reminded that the, the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. That we're all just beggars pointing others to where they can find the bread of life. Help us, O oh Lord, to give as you have given. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.